Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. And this is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to Never, ever give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let me give you Matthew 16. Matthew 16, starting in verse 20 to verse 30. Then he gave the disciples strict orders to tell no one that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples clearly that he must go to Jerusalem and endure many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised from death to life on the third day. Peter took him aside to speak to him privately and began to reprimand him, saying, May God forbid it. This will never happen to you. But Jesus, verse 23, where we at Matthew 16, But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. And then the Lord is about to give them this sobering, stringent, requirement about discipleship because he's talking about how discipleship is costly. So now listen, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, deny himself, set aside selfish entrance 
and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me. Believing in me, conforming to my example in living and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all eternity. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, success, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man. Listen to verse 27. Because, yes, Holy Spirit, this verse right here is the key to everything the Holy Spirit has given me to bring forth on this podcast. This reality in verse 27, whether or not you believe it, is going to happen. So this is the warning the Lord himself is given to humanity. He he is giving us what's to come for the son of man is going to come in the glory and majesty of his father with his angels and then he will repay each one in accordance with what he has done. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Amen. So, just to keep us all in sobriety, we got to understand Christ Jesus is on his way back. When? We don't know, but we do know he is coming. And he is coming quickly. The problem is we try to put his return on time earthly time. This is, yes, this is why Peter was talking about how some are mocking his coming. Oh, they've been talking about Jesus is coming back for years. Even our forefathers, where he at? Listen, it is to our benefit that he is tarrying because it is not the Father's will that any should perish, but that all men everywhere come to repentance. And now that we are in Christ Jesus, the Bible clearly instructs us 
how we are to live now that we are born again. Beloved, I can't begin to tell you how 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13 to 16, keeps us in perpetual sobriety when it comes to our salvation. So let us have a quick read. So prepare your minds for action. That right there, let us know we got work to do. So I don't know about all of this false doctrine about how we don't do anything. All we had to do was believe because Christ Jesus did it all and it is up to him to keep us in sanctification. Well, you know what? Scripture is unanimous about the part the participation of the born-again believer in their sanctification. We are not to just sit back, enjoy the ride while we are still in sin, believing every bit of the false doctrine, once saved, I'm always saved. Before I get off on a tangent, the proponents of once saved, always saved, love, loves to point out that, you know what, people just assume that we will still be in sin, claiming the name, grabbing on to grace, but that's not true. It is true. Now, we know God's grace is amazing. And what's so amazing about it is not that we can get away with sin, grab onto grace, and we are still good to go. No, what makes it so amazing, number one, is because we did not deserve it. Number two, it teaches us to reject all ungodliness and immoral worldly desires. But just like Peter spoke of it, Paul spoke of it, Jude, John, Jesus, and I believe James spoke about how Wolves in sheep's clothing came in and distorted the doctrine of grace. And so, therefore, people do. Unfortunately, now, if you don't, great. But many do take his grace as license to keep on sinning. So they can defend their false doctrine until they are blue in the face because 
I know of some personally, just like you may know some personally, who are abusing grace. So what, we don't talk about it? Listen, back over here, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1. Peter, straight out the gate, he's telling us what we must do. We must prepare our minds for action. Listen, once you come into the body of Christ, be prepared be prepared for war. That's why Paul tells us, put on the full armor of God. Why? We are in a spiritual battle. Do you think Satan just wants you just to leave him just like that and he don't try to put up a fight? Listen, Prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. Verse 14, 1 Peter 1. Listen. Live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which govern you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Listen, in all your conduct, be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage. Amen. Beloved, that's what it means to be holy. That's it. It's not that deep. It is being set apart from this world by our godly character and moral courage. Where we now live for God. Verse 16, 1 Peter 1, because it is written, You shall be holy, set apart, for I am holy. Amen. And this is where sanctification must have its way in the born-again believer's life. So, beloved, what we talking about today? Well, why most professing Christians won't put their flesh under subjection. Today, I'm talking to the wayward ones. If you are living according to God's will, you may just want to take some notes today to make sure 
you are still on that straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. But most of the times, we must deal with the brethren because of false doctrines, because of the apostate churches, because of all of these so-called elders and bishops and leaders in the church who, for the most part, not all, but many, are in sin themselves. So they are not going to touch anything that remotely talks about repentance, living an obedient life, because for them, true blessings is when you bring them 10% of your money as they lie to you and say, well, that money is going to God. Well, we know God has absolutely no use for money. That money is going to the bishop, into his bank account. God does not have a personal bank account where your money is being deposited into. No, he doesn't. Now, I know there are legit men and women who have been called by God to work his harvest who needs money to go out and preach the gospel in whatever lane the Lord has called them. So why wouldn't we bless their ministry? Because we know they are actually doing the work. They are not jet setting. They are not shopping for houses, cars, and lands, and then put all that on social media, just putting it in your face, I'm taking your money, and I'm spending it on me. I'm talking about bona fide men and women that are actually about the Father's business, of course, we will bless their ministry so that they can continue preaching the gospel, traveling on just regular accommodations, staying in places that are not high-end, over-the-top. I'm talking about just a regular nice hotel, it can even be a five-star hotel, but that's just because when they are traveling, they got to stay someplace. We wouldn't want our brothers and sisters who are traveling to be staying in a roach motel. It's only reasonable that they have nice accommodations Ain't nothing wrong with that. Even if a car service comes to pick them up and take them from point A to point B, ain't nothing wrong with that. 
I'm talking about those who make merchandise of their followers. I'm talking about they don't have a congregation. No, they have customers. Customers to whom they sell a false bill of goods. Talking about how, oh, you are going to be blessed, blessed, blessed. You just keep bringing God the money and see won't he show out in your life. No, not if you are still living in sin. No one is rebuking. No one is calling you on your mess. So, that's what we are dealing with today because Paul was absolutely correct when he wrote Timothy, the young pastor, that there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap upon themselves teachers, teachers who will tickle that ear, tell them all what they want to hear, just as long as they are not rebuked, as long as they are not called out on the sin they refuse to give up. Why? Because these false teachers, they themselves are in sin too. So to keep you coming, to keep your money coming, they will water down the gospel. They will tell you essentially, you have eternal security. Nothing, no one, no how, no way can you lose your salvation. When that's not true, you forfeit it by remaining in those lifestyles that Jesus says you will perish. Ain't no way we can still stay in sin and make it into the kingdom. And I don't care how these pastors and teachers and bishops and prophets, I don't care how much they try to whitewash what Jesus has said. But unless you repent, simply meaning you must change the way you think, turn from a sinful, wicked lifestyle and turn to God to receive the free gift of salvation for the forgiveness of your sins. Christ Jesus shed blood will cleanse you. But if there is no renewing of the mind, if there is no turning away from sin and turning to God so that you can be sanctified, made holy, get ready to meet Jesus Christ, who said in so many places, he is coming Again, and when he comes, he's coming with his father's angels in flaming fire to do what? Take vengeance 
against those who have rejected him and his gospel. He tells us through Paul over here in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 that they will be punished with everlasting destruction. So tell me again how all we have to do is just believe, which is true, but that's not all what we have to do. Just reading, if you don't ever read another scripture in the Bible, Peter told us concisely what and how we how we ought to be living. He's telling us, prepare your minds for action because mm-hmm, we are in the battle. That we must be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined. And that word right there is what we truly talking about today because I'm telling you many and most professing Christians do not want to put that flesh under subjection. They still want to remain in the second and third remarriages. They still want to smoke their cigarettes and weed. They still want to fornicate and party. They still want to drink like a drunkard, dress like a harlot, sleep around, cuss, steal, lie. They still want to live as they were, but then they still want to make it into the kingdom. Well, guess what? Christ Jesus said, we cannot serve two masters. So stop beating your head up against a brick wall, trying to prove him wrong that it is doable. It is doable. No, it is not. As a witness, I'm telling you, I tried it. I almost lost my life and ended up in hell's fire. Christ Jesus never minced his words. He said what he said, and he means what he says. So, listen. Striving for the crown. That's what we are called to do. Finish our race contend for the faith. Listen and hear the Holy Spirit closely. If you and I do not bring this body of flesh under subjection, making it conform to the will and purpose and plans of our Heavenly Father, we all we all gonna perish. That's right. All of us will perish if we keep on giving provision to this stinking, nasty, rotten flesh of ours who keeps pulling on the new man, 
to go back into willful, habitual, blatant, purposeful, neglectful, rebellious sin, beloved. Listen, that old man ruled by sensuality, carnality, and worldliness wants nothing more than for you and I to return back to our vomit. Playing on Satan's playground so that we repeatedly keep giving him access into our born-again lives. Beloved, we cannot give that old serpent a foothold into our lives when we do not put the body under subjection. This flesh is no longer in charge. I love Romans chapter 6. If you all have not had the blessed opportunity to sit quietly with the Holy Spirit and read and study Romans chapter 6, you too, like he had me, you will walk away with a clearer understanding about this flesh. It has been crucified. Sin is no longer our master. Christ dealt with its controlling dominance over our lives. He dealt with sin. The problem is we keep allowing sin to have a say when biblically, scripturally, it has no say. But if you and I keep giving it a say, then we will remain slaves to it. We must, just like over there in Romans chapter 6, Paul is telling us to walk in the newness of life. What life? This born again life that by God's grace, he has given it to us. So you mean to tell me for all of you who wants to keep screaming, oh, grace, grace, grace. His mercy, mercy, mercy. Well, hallelujah. And you mean to tell me that even knowing about his mercy, about his grace, about how there was nothing we could have done to earn our justification, nothing we could boast about. And you mean to tell me how you repay him, so to speak, is by continuing to live a life that is characterized by sin. Because Paul opened up that chapter, Romans 6, with the question. Now I'm paraphrasing because I'm telling you, if, if I go over there, I'm scrapping today's notes and we are going to delve into Romans 6. Don't tempt me. Because he's like, see, 
I got to go to it at least to verse one. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Because this question is so profound that it will literally change your whole perspective. It will. So look, because the reason why he even asked this question was because at the tail end of verse five, he was talking about grace and he must have known Holy Spirit inspired him with a a quick thought that people are going to take this wonderful grace as a license to sin. And before we can even think about it, here's the question. What shall we say to all of this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too, hallelujah, might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. Amen. I told y'all, don't tempt me. I'm so tempted to scrap today's lesson and get on with Romans chapter six. Listen, you and I have been crucified with Christ. This life, what life? This born again life that we live in this body, this body of flesh that has the potential, if you give it its way, to go back into sin. But this born again life that we live in this flesh, although this flesh wants what it wants, we don't We give it no say. So this life we now live in the body. Well, we live it by faith in the son of God. Who now lives in us. He loved us and he gave himself for us. That's why after I finish playing around with my salvation for many years, Galatians 2.20, as well as Romans chapter 6, hit me up aside my head. What are you doing, Cynthia? Do you not know you have been 
crucified. That flesh is dead. So why are we still trying to resurrect the old man? Yes, Holy Spirit of God. The reason why most professing Christians won't keep that flesh under subjection, it is because they simply do not want to. That's why. That's why. It's not like we don't have the holy writ about how we are to live and how we need to be thinking now. It's not like we don't have chapter and verse about holy, godly, righteous, clean living because we do have scriptures on holy, righteous, godly, and clean living. So, the reason why is because many don't want to stop satisfying their flesh. Listen, there is no high-sounding theological reason behind why most professing Christians don't want to keep that flesh under subjection. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need some spiritual covering you don't need somebody's apostate denominational wicked church to provide the answer because they will give you a song and a dance because at the end of the day, they will say, well, you know, God understands. Jesus knows your heart, yada, yada, yada. As opposed to pointing that finger to your nose and telling you quit it, otherwise you're going to perish. The answer, simply, people don't want to. They don't want to listen to the writing of Paul over here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, because you see, beloved, Paul had a clue. He knew what time it was. It's wake up time, my friend. Listen to what he said about subjecting that old flesh. Because he was talking about striving for a crown. Okay? So, listen, I, I, oh, Holy Spirit, I am going to beat this dead horse into the ground. I can't. And I don't know how I fell for it. No, 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 no. Back it up, girl. I know how you fell for it because you too was in sin and you wanted to hear a doctrine that just placated your guilty conscience because you knew better. And so a doctrine like eternal security, no matter what, I still go to heaven no matter what. I can live however I want no matter what. I'm still going to make it in. Me and God are still good. That's how I fell for it too. 
Because when you are in sin, claiming to be a Christian, you look for teachers to tickle that guilty ear and that guilty conscience. Because you know in the deep recesses of that heart, you ain't living right. You want to live right. On some occasions, you are striving to live right, but because you refuse, just listen, I'm telling you, I cast no stones. I'm only coming back as one literally coming back from hell's fire saying, don't come here. Unlike the rich man and Lazarus story, Unlike the rich man, he was in hell, couldn't come back, but he wanted Abraham to send somebody from hell to tell his brothers, oh, don't come here. So to the glory and forbearance of God, he didn't send me to hell claiming Jesus' name. I'm telling you, I was at death's door many times a night. So the wonderful opportunity that I have been given that Lazarus, not Lazarus, the, the rich man wasn't given that I, I am on top of the dirt. I'm telling you what he was trying to get Abraham to do to send somebody Tell his brothers to repent because you don't want to come here. So I'm telling you, the plank is out of my eye. You don't want to go to hell playing around. Stop sinning. Live holy. Live clean. It's, it's not some big feat. All you got to do is fear the Lord and respect his name. Until you are willing to do that, you are skating, dancing with the devil. You're looking down the barrels of hell's fire and no false doctrine is going to save you on the day when Christ returns to judge the inhabited world in righteousness. That is why Acts 17.31 is so profound. This is why God is calling everyone to repent. Not that he's just some unreasonable bully no, it is because he has set a day of judgment is coming just because it hasn't come in these past 2000 plus years since Christ went to the cross. Do not think he's not coming. He's coming. And the way we live our lives is in anticipation of his coming. So he has set a day 
and he has appointed a judge, Jesus Christ. Now that we are in Christ, we have his word about now going forth, how we are to live. We ain't supposed to be sinning still. Now, we know if we commit sin, we can go to the Father in sincere repentance, confess it. Not looking to go back in it, but with a contrite heart. Oh, you missed the mark. You ain't even thinking about doing this again, but you know things happen. Okay, okay. We all slip up, but we are not making it a lifestyle and then want to pull on grace to what? Give us authorization to keep at it? No. Do not fall into the vicious cycle of sinning, repenting, God forgives you, and then you do good for a little while, but then because you are not subjecting that flesh, putting it under, just forgetting about that one day you will die, and then the judgment, according to Hebrews 9.27, I'm telling you, it's like we just forget about the scriptures when the loins get to screaming about how, oh, they just can't stop sexing, they can't stop smoking, they can't stop drinking, and we just go right along with the flesh, talking about, well, you know, Jesus is still working on me. No, he's not. And if you don't repent, and if you don't stop the foolishness, not only that you are looking down a barrel of hell's fire, but you may be a borderline reprobate. So, striving for a crown. Because back over here to Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Paul, I'm telling you, he told us about the flesh. Now, if Paul was concerned about how if he don't keep his body under subjection, that he, now we're talking about the Apostle Paul, right? As some say, wrote, what, two-thirds of the New Testament? Paul never preached nor, nor wrote to the churches he set up about a once saved, always saved. Peter never taught that. Jude never talked about it. James, the writers of Hebrews. Now we know Christ Jesus ain't never talked about, well, you can still remain in sin. You can serve two masters. You don't have to first um, seek the kingdom. No, seek your flesh. Live it up. I got you. I went to the cross. Live, eat drink, be merry. No. He, I, 
The Holy Spirit had me open up with what? What was that? Matthew 16. Christ. Oh boy. I'm telling you. All we have to do is read the scriptures. If once saved, always saved, was a teaching of Jesus why is he over here in Matthew 16 telling us in order to be his disciple that we must deny ourselves that alone? Deny yourselves. Pick up your cross and follow him. Do you think Jesus is leading you to the weed man? Do you think Christ Jesus is leading you to the hotel to get it on? Absolutely not. Where do you think he's leading us? To eternal life. Because he said something that was so sobering. What profit? Will it do a man to gain the whole world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, only to lose your soul? So again, tell me about how I'm once saved, I'm always saved. You're not safe yet. Listen, salvation, listen, because... Salvation is not complete until Jesus returns. Or you go by the way of the grave, having lived a faithful, obedient life unto Christ Jesus. So, once saved, always saved is a done deal doctrine. It literally tells you, and I don't care how much they try to fight against what is obviously stated in that terminology. Once you are saved, you are always saved. And you have had many a pastor, many a preacher going to their own grave with this doctrine, telling homosexuals, as long as you said a sinner's prayer, you are good to go, telling even an unbeliever, as long as you said a sinner's prayer, you have eternal security. Whole books have been written by pastors and teachers and prophets about this false doctrine and many have lifted up their eyes in hell trying to figure out well hmm i thought i had eternal security and clarity is now having their way because once you step into eternity as a fornicator as an idolator an adulterer, a homosexual, an effeminate man, a drunkard, a greedy lying thief. Oh, 
Oh, clarity will have its way. Now, listen, beloved. Once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. Now, if you are living clean and holy and you are striving, listen, no, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. That won't happen until Christ returns. I'm talking about what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, 13 or 14. He's telling us to strive. That means agonize, fight, contend, knock down the door to holy, clean living if you got to. He, yes, Holy Spirit, he told us to do something so drastic so that you won't end up in hell. Because again, if once saved, always saved was a doctrine of Christ, why did he tell us to do something that was so extreme? He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hands cause you to sin, cut it off. He's telling us spiritually, do whatever it takes so that you don't end up in a burning hell. Why didn't he simply say, I got you covered? Now, I know you deserve to be happy. I know you are nothing but of the earth. I get it. Listen, I, Jesus, gets you. But he never said any of that. None of that. Humanism say that Jesus Christ wants you to be happy. So if that means being in a second and third and fourth remarriage, when you have a living spouse, well, your happiness trumps holiness. And we know, where's my bell? We know that is a lie. Our happiness does not trump holiness. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for wisdom. So now, if I can get through what Paul was talking about, because see, I'm telling you, I ain't letting up off of that false doctrine about one saved, always saved. I have a heart for God's people. These people seem to be so well-meaning, but they are living in sin, believing every bit of this high-sounding nonsense. They truly, I heard it out of the mouth of people who say that they and God are good when they go home to an adulterous spouse, because they have a living spouse, a living covenant spouse, but they have sex, they make lives, they have children, they have businesses, they have bank accounts, they have properties with an individual in the 
in the sight of God is not their wife nor husband because they have a living partner or you have married someone who has been divorced and they have a living spouse. Well, Jesus says you commit adultery. You are an adulteress. He is an adulterer. And if you don't split, if if you don't repent, if you don't leave him or her, you're going to perish. And I know whether you like it or not, you have another say. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ will have the final say. So, if Paul taught once saved, always saved, why is he over here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, talking about beating his body into subjection, about how he is not going to allow anything to make him a slave again because he don't want to run the risk of being disqualified. But oh, no, no, over here in the 21st century, we talking about once saved, I'm always saved. No, no, ma'am, no, sir. So listen, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. See? Those who have ears, I know you caught what Paul just said. He's telling us to live in such a way that we receive the crown of life. And living as a homosexual claiming to be a Christian, living as a liar claiming to be a Christian ain't it. No, I don't know what crown you running for, but it is not the crown of life. So he says in verse 25, 1 Corinthians 9, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Do you know what temperate means? It means having self-restraint. He's telling us to live a life of discipline and restraint. That means anytime your loins get the flaring up about, well, what I'm going to do about lust when you exhort the brother that he's in an adulterous remarriage claiming to be a follower of Jesus? And then his next question is, well, what about lust? Well, what about it? See, mm, the reason why most professing Christians do not want to stop entertaining the flesh is because they love that sex. Now, I'm, listen, 
you couldn't have told me about six, seven years ago about living a celibate life because you understand that no fornicator will make it into God's kingdom. You couldn't have told me that I can live a life without having sex, without lust. It's doable. You want to know why it's doable? Not because I'm and many others are just these super self-righteous Christians. No. Sex is good. Sex is pleasurable. But according to scriptures, it is only for husbands and wives, covenant partners, that one flesh union. That's sex is only authorized under the marital covenant, not when you're a teenager, not when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 80s and 90s, just having just free sex willy-nilly. No, when you put your flesh on the facts, no fornicator, no idolator, no adulterer, no effeminate man, no homosexual, no covetous, greedy, drunkard, slanderous, extortioner will inherit God's kingdom, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. That's how I was able to stop fornicating because I put these loins on the biblical facts. So, Back over here, verse 26. No, verse 25, 1 Corinthians 9. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Amen. Listen, Paul did not want to become a castaway and be denied entrance to the kingdom of God, having preached the good news to others, but that he himself won't get in. No, beloved, listen, I need for us, before I let you go, I need for us to come over to Galatians 5.13. Listen, for you, my brothers, were called to freedom, right? Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness, but through love serve and seek the best for one another. Amen. And if we jump down to verses 24, yeah, 24 to 25, Paul was saying, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have 
crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If none other scripture in the Bible that is so appropriate, then verse 25, what I'm about to read, then I don't know what is. This right here is the biblical reason as to why most professing Christians won't, won't, refuse to put their flesh under subjection. Now, I gave you earlier, by the Holy Spirit, I gave you the obvious answer because they simply don't want to. But Galatians 5.25, listen to this. Because remember in verse 24, right? Paul is saying that those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified that sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If we claim, look at verse 25, if we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk. That means live. Walk by the Spirit with what? Personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, again, it is not that we are just some legalistic, self-righteous, holier-than-thou Christian, just sanctified, that, <clears throat> that we are just some wonder, that we can control our bodies, but you can't. No, that's not, not at all. So please get that out of your heads. We struggle and fight just like everybody else. Verse 25, because you keep saying you are a Christian filled with his spirit, but you refuse to keep that flesh under subjection. Well, the next question is obvious. Why? <clears throat> Why? Because we have Holy Spirit who empowers us. Empowers us to do what? Hmm. Empowers us to reject sin. To, how does, what I'm looking for, James 4, 7. Submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil. How? How do you think we are able to do this? Not by our own might. Because this flesh is like, pull, pull the scriptures, let's get it cracking again. No. If we claim to 
to live. No, no. Yeah. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, that right there. Because listen, on the day of judgment, all of this lip service to Jesus is going out the window. Save it. Save it. Just like the false prophets and many professing Christians, Jesus, I'm, I'm telling you, and how do we know this is so? Because he told us this is what he's going to tell many, many, not a few, but many. That same many, that same group, he's talking about how they're going to be to the left. And that how that same group is on that wide road heading towards destruction, everlasting destruction. He is going to tell this same group labeled the many, depart from me because they, the many, profess even in eternity, Lord, Lord. And before, I think it's Luke something, where he was saying, Lord, Lord, why call me Lord, Lord, when you do not do what I say? So he's going to tell many, I never knew you. He did not have an abiding relationship with the many, although... They kept claiming, Lord, Lord. He's going to tell them what the pastor and what the bishop, as he jet-setting to and fro with your money, he's going to tell you what the apostate church did not tell you, you worker of iniquity. Listen, don't let it get to the point where Jesus got to tell you, you are a worker of iniquity because if he's telling you this, the next thing that's going to happen to you in eternity, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. Beloved, I believe I've said enough. Listen. We are got to pray. We got to pray. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, hallowed be thy holy, righteous name. We see the account over here in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Father, we see right here that same doctrine of the devil coming against your direct command. Not only coming against it, but casting doubt on what you told the man. And then we see the first lie against you ever told to your creation. No, you won't. No, you will not surely die. Rather than sticking to your command, that lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life all went down in the garden that day. And the fall of man ensued. Father, all we can ever say is thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. Although this one man, Adam, committed sin and all people after Adam were born with the fallen sin nature. But the second Adam, Christ Jesus, born in righteousness, lived in righteousness, lived a perfect sinless life, died as a sinner in our place. How can we now that we understand all that went down on the cross that fateful day, just like Paul said, how can we, the very ones who by your grace been saved, how can we still live in sin? How can we? Or are we ignorant of the fact that we have been crucified with Christ Jesus. Father, I ask that you open the eyes of your children, that they come away from these false teachers with their doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, lulling your children into a false sense of quote-unquote eternal security. 
I am. And it is only by your grace. Without it, I am in no position to tell anybody anything. But because of your mercy, you gave me an opportunity of a lifetime to repent while I still had a chance. So, that rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he didn't have the opportunity to have the gospel preached to his brothers. Someone from hell could not leave hell and go to his brothers because Abraham told him they got the law. So obviously, if they are not willing to abide that, they won't listen to anyone, even if they come back from the grave. And that is true today. Thank you that you have appointed your children to preach the gospel. And not only that, but to wake up our sleeping, religious, lukewarm brethren who hang their salvation on a false doctrine all because they refuse to put that flesh under subjection. Without your mercy, without your grace, I would be in no position to tell anybody about anything because look at me. But to your glory and to the matchless name of Jesus Christ, I have truly been born again. So now all I want to do, just like King David, all he wants to do after receiving the mercy and grace of God and the gift of repentance, all I want to do is tell the brethren, live clean, live holy, stop sinning, turn back to God. We don't know when we will draw our last breath. That alone should keep us in sobriety. And if that wasn't enough, Christ Jesus says when he returns, he will give to every single person according to what they have done. He's coming with his reward. I can't say it enough, Father, but I will try. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving a wretch like me. And I pray for the saints that we remain faithful to Jesus Christ who died and shed his blood and rose again the third day. That we remain abiding in Christ Jesus submitting ourselves to the perfect sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit who empowers us to resist sin. The fact that we love you with our whole hearts, souls, minds, and strength and loving our neighbor 
as we love ourselves, we are not looking to do anything that displeases you, not anymore. Thank you for the fear of the Lord. Bless you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, glory be to the Most High God. All right, beloved, listen. Repent. Stop sinning. Do what is right always. Have moral courage. Have personal integrity. Never, ever, whatever you do, never, ever, never, ever forget. All that we do is being recorded in heaven and the books will be opened. Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Praise the living God. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye. Thank you.